Hello and welcome to Level Up with Shay. I am a comedian, entrepreneur, and lover of personal growth here to share my stories on my Level Up journey, bring other fascinating and inspirational artists and creatives to share their story, and to help you realize your potential, take action, and fulfill your biggest dreams. I am delighted to bring you today's guest, Carl Tart. Carl is a writer, performer, and one of the leads in NBC's Grand Crew. He can also be seen in Miracle Workers, The Good Place, Arrested Development, Transparent, Disney's Girl Meets World, Comedy Bang Bang, and more. He has written for Keenan, Mad TV, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Ghosted, just to name a few. Carl has traveled all over the country with the sketch and improv team, The Big Team, formerly known as White Women. He is also the co-host of the basketball-centric podcast, The Flagrant Ones, and XOXO Gossip Kings, a rewatch podcast of Gossip of girls. After spending a little time in college and realizing he wasn't going to make it to the NBA, Carl decided to dip his toe into the comedy world. Starting out in stand-up but not really liking it, he was introduced to improv and fell in love. He completed programs at Second City and the Upright Citizens Brigade, both in Los Angeles, and was selected for the 2013 CBS Diversity Showcase, where he worked with other performers and sketch writers to put on a show in front of the top agents and managers in the business. Carl still loves to learn and challenge himself, so he started DJing right before the pandemic and now uses it as a cool party trick. I met Carl at UCB in Los Angeles, and he was always so welcoming and kind and on top of that, hilarious. So let's get into it. Please welcome to Level Up with Shay, Carl Tart. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Level Up with Shay. I am so excited about today's guest, Carl Tart. Hey, what's hey. going on? <laughs> a comedian, improviser, writer, actor, DJ. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit, hopefully. But you you do so many things, so many cool things. I see you having, you know, from the outside looking in, having so much fun, doing a lot of it with your friends, which is really, really cool. And I kind of just want to start in your childhood. What made you want to be a comedian, actor, entertainer? And did you always have kind of this vision or this dream to, you know, do what you're doing now? You know, I didn't always have the dream to do what I'm doing now. Not not technically. It, it, it started to come a little bit later, but I was always very scared to talk about it because when you tell somebody you want to be a comedian, the first thing they say is, well, you're not funny. Even if you are, you know, even if they've, yeah. even if you have, you know, made them laugh a ton. When it comes to actually being a comedian, they go, no, no, you can't do that. That's different. So I, as a kid, what inspired me to want to do was making my family laugh at events. It helped me kind of stay. I have an older cousin who's like my older sister. She's like 10 years older than me, like nine years older than me. And she would babysit me a lot. And I noticed she was frustrated by that because she just wanted to be with her teenage friends. You know, they just want to do with it. And so in order for me to justify myself being around, I had to make these people laugh. And how I did that at a really young age was just repeating stuff I had seen on TV. And, you know, so when I was really little, Martin Lawrence show was, you know, my favorite thing ever. And then there was Comic View and Def Comedy Jam, which I shouldn't have been watching at that age. But my cousin, you know, let me watch it and stuff like that. I got really young parents, too. So my mom never really stressed over profanity and stuff like that because mm -hmm. I think she saw that I was watching it from a different, like, type of place. And so I... Just love doing that. And then once I got to school, it was kind of how I, you know, again, like how I used this ability to fit in. Like it was humor. 
And then when I moved to L.A., I was kind of an outcast because, you know, I was a little kid coming from Mississippi and had an accent and stuff like that. And, and to make myself fit in with this new culture that I was so unfamiliar with, moving from a small town to a huge city, gang issues and, you know, just trying to make friends and stuff like that. I think being funny was something that I realized I could do, like make, making people laugh was something I realized I could do pretty early on. And it was something that you recognize and you go, wow, this hasn't changed through any situation I've been in, that when I'm a really little kid in Mississippi, I can make my family and friends and adults laugh and stuff like that. And then when I move to L.A., it's kind of the same thing. I make my teachers laugh. I make the other kids laugh, these people who are different to me. So I just kind of was like, man, I think this is like a thing that I can do. And um, I, you know, kind of got used to and enjoyed being known as the funny kid. And it just kind of stuck with me my whole life. Yeah, I mean, I... Most of the comedians that I talk to, they're like, I used humor as kind of this not defensive mechanism necessarily, but to fit in mm -hmm. and to make everybody else happy. Like you said, your babysitter, you saw that she was frustrated. You're like, how can I help this situation? Yeah. And it was with your humor. So I, I think that's maybe how a lot of comedians get their start is just using that while they're young. Yeah. A lot of people say it comes from like a trauma thing. I don't really have a ton of that. Like, I mean, we all got traumas, but I don't have like, there wasn't nothing in my in my childhood that I could be like, that's when I started being funny. Because it kind of was like there the whole time. It was more just like a, I was a really shy kid. And that was how I could kind of break through that shyness was making people laugh. And so, yeah, that, that's how that came along. Yeah, totally. And so when did you move from Mississippi to L.A.? When I was eight years old. Okay, eight. And then what area in L.A.? You were like South L.A. Yeah. So when I first moved out here, we lived in an area in the, in the Baldwin Hills, Crenshaw area, which is called like locally known as the jungles. And, uh, you know, any, any neighborhood that has a nickname like that probably ain't too good. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's where we lived at first. And then we moved into an area in Inglewood called the Bottoms. And then <laughs> we moved over uh, by USC, which is just like, you know, South Central Los Angeles. But my mom always wanted me to go to school in uh, better areas. So I always went to school. I claim West L.A. Like, that is where I, when people ask me, oh, where you, where'd you grow up in West L.A.? I always say West L.A. because I spent so much time in that area. So the, the Venice, La Cienega, Pico area in that, you know, right before you get to Culver City, which is just known as West Los Angeles. I grew up right there. Like, because I, I spent the most time. I lived on the other side of town, but school and then after school programs, I was there pretty much all day, every day. I got this place called Robertson Park at a park, you know, rec center. And uh, yeah, so that's where I claim, that's where all my friends lived in that area. We never lived over there until like later in my life. But yeah, I was, I spent the most time over there. Okay. From high school, where did you go? After high school was over, I started at a school in Ohio called Wilberforce University. It was a historically black college. And I left there after half a year to go play basketball at this school called New Mexico Highlands University. And then I got cut from the team because we had a really bad team and they like that coach got fired and there was a new coach came in and brought in his own guys and I didn't make the cut. So I came home and at that point I had never been the best student. I was always like class clownish. I did my work. I was smart, but I, I never was like a good student. I was lazy as hell, which I still can be. And, uh, which is why this virtual background is on. You can't see back here. Um, <laughs> But I, when I left the school, I kind of was lost a little bit. You know, you're in that weird age where 
you're too old to be with the high schoolers, but you're too young to do anything adultish. So just like that 1920, like kind of purgatory that you're in. And I started being like, you know, kind of figuring out like, okay, what do I want to do? I know I don't want to go back to school. I was going to like community colleges just to like please my mom, taking like two classes a week, you know, not on any type of path of getting a college degree. And then I started thinking more and more about comedy. I started looking it up, Googling stuff. And I was just like, man, I like this has been the most consistent thing in my life. I loved sports. I wish I could have been a professional athlete, but that wasn't in the cards for me because I wasn't good enough. <laughs> and so I was like, well, what's something that I have been good enough, good good at my whole life? I've always had the ability to make people laugh. Well, why don't I just try to do it? And people were like, I didn't, t- I didn't tell people. I didn't tell too many people. I told close friends and stuff. And they did exactly what I thought they were going to do. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Nobody, like, who do you think you are? Cat Williams? Kevin Hart? You, don't, you can't do that. Because they don't understand the process that it takes those guys. You know, they, everybody had to start somewhere. Everybody stepped on the stage and bombed before. Everybody took that leap and they had to work at their craft because they probably thought the same thing. Well, I've been funny my whole life. I'll get up here and I'll just kill. And it ain't, that ain't the case. But when we're seeing them, we're seeing them after years of effort and work and stuff, but they do it so well that it looks like, oh, I'm just coming up here to talk. And so people think, well, you can't do that. You're not that funny. You're funny, but you ain't like that funny. And so I just started doing it secretly. Started doing open mics and coming up to the comedy store. And I'm like 19, 20 years old. And I'm just like, man. And then I, it, it was really hard. And then the, the lazy streak kind of set in. But it's also, it wasn't just laziness. It was like a fear, too. It was like, I was afraid to write jokes. I was afraid that I'm going to write this joke and nobody's going to laugh at it. And then I'm going to be up here stuck. <laughs> and so I would make up a lot of stuff. And I would, you know, find stuff to talk about and do characters and you know, talk about my family, kind of tell stories almost. And somebody came up to me one time and was like, yo, you uh, you do improv, huh? So I was like, improv? What, what is improv? What is that? And uh, I didn't know what it was. And they were like, you know, like, whose line is it anyway? I was like, oh, like Wayne Brady? Nah, I don't do that. I'm like, wait, because, you know, Wayne Brady was kind of like a butt of a joke at, at that time, you know? And so I was like, nah, I never, he was like, you should check it out. Like, you, I think you'd be good because I can clearly tell you don't write anything down. <laughs> <laughs> you're just up there talking and you're like making this stuff up off the top of your head. And I go, uh, all right, I'll look into it. And then one thing I did have secret, I, when I was a kid, I secretly wanted to be on all that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure like most of us did, but I oh, love that. Yeah. But I also was too scared to ever audition. They would talk about it, like, we're having auditions at Universal Studios Orlando. And that wasn't super far away from where I was in Mississippi or like my mom, if my, my mom, we moved here because my mom's an actress. Oh, okay. So if I had told her I wanted to do that, because I always made her laugh. If I had told her I wanted to do that, she would have 100% put the effort in. But I was too scared. I was way too scared. And then Keenan got on SNL when I was in like eighth grade. And that's when that started to be like a dream. Like, man, I'd like to be on this show. I'd like to, I'd like to be on this one day. And side note, ain't that crazy? Keenan's been on that show since I was in the eighth grade. That's wild. Wow. (laughs) But uh, I I remember he got on there. I was like, "Eh, let's do from all that. Like, Keenan and Kale. And I started to secretly want to do it at that point. That was when it was like something in the back of my head. But I was like, nah, basketball is more realistic. People can, and it's absolutely not. But but like, I I, I stopped, you know, I I wouldn't say that stuff out loud. But then once I lost sports, once I was like, it's over for me. And I was like, Maybe I could still make a run at this. And I started Googling 
how people got on the show. And I kept seeing Second City Groundlings, Second City Groundlings, Second City Groundlings. This is before like the UCB crew kind of took over the show. Mm-hmm. Like Second City Groundlings, Second City Groundlings. Okay. Keep seeing these two names pop up. Let me see if they are. Like I'd heard second people were like, oh, the second city's in Chicago. It's not out here in LA. And I was like, oh, let me just look it up. And there was one in LA. And I went to the Groundlings website. And there were like not many black people on their alumni list and the classes were like super expensive and there was no way I was going to be able to afford that. And then I went to the Second City website and it was like a college brochure, like black people popped up immediately on the front page. And I'm like, oh, so black people are at this one. And they have one in LA and the classes were like $200 cheaper. And I said, I called and I was like, hey, how do I sign up for one of these classes? Like, is is there one? And it was right around the time of my birthday. Almost to my birthday, my mom was kind of asking, like, oh, what do you want for your birthday? You're going to be 21. What do you want for your birthday? And I told her I wanted to take that class. Like, if you could just help me out with that class. And she was like, really? Like, now you want to do it? Like, it took you long enough, blah, blah. And she kind of understood. And so that's when I signed up. So I was, like, 20 years old. And I called. And I was like, hey, I want to sign up. Do I need, like, what level do I need to take? And they told me the level. And they were like, the class is starting in, like, two weeks. It's like, cool. I'm in. Yeah. 20 years old. That's pretty young. Yeah. Like at those theaters. That's, yeah. I love that. So you stopped stand up. Yeah. Cause I, and that was a hard thing. That was a hard thing because I didn't know that there was another option. So in my mind, I'm like, damn, man, if I can't do stand up, then maybe I, maybe everybody was right. Maybe I'm not funny as I thought I was, but I really wasn't putting in no effort to be honest. Yep. Because I didn't know the path. That was before like podcasting was a real thing. So you could hear other people tell you how they did it and how they grinded it out. And I was shy. I wasn't making like that many friends over there. And I wasn't really like grinding it out, like being at every open mic, writing jokes, giving, putting in the effort because it was out of fear. It was like, man, I'm, I'm afraid that people are not going to laugh. And so that kind of that kind of put me in a little, a little like depressive mood because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Like at that point, it was like a 16th year crisis. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, like I didn't, I didn't know uh, a one sixteenth like life crisis, like how they say midlife crisis. Like, yeah. it's like, this is the beginning of my life, but I, I don't know. Cause I didn't do any like aptitude type stuff. And I knew I didn't want to go back to college. I knew I didn't want to go back. If I wasn't playing sports, I didn't just want to be just a student at the school. Like that doesn't give you any status. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I was like, all right. I guess I'll try this. And then when it got, and then that person told me, if that person hadn't told me to try improv, like I ain't no telling what I would have been doing right now. And when I found it, day one, class one, I fell in love with it. I was like, oh my God, this is so fun. And another thing was from class one, so many people were coming up to me being like, oh, you're really good at this. You must have done this before. I said, I've n- I never heard of this until <laughs> Wow. And I was, you know, I probably wasn't good. But I was good for a person who has, you know, person in 101, you know, one level one. And that just gave me the, because in sports, positive reinforcement is very few and far in between if you're not like the absolute best player on your team. So I had never been in a situation where I had heard like, hey, man, you're really good at this. And that immediately made me go, I'm in. I'm in. Because if they think I'm good now, imagine what I'm going to be when I get better at it. That's kind of what made me stay. And I stayed concurrently. I finished that program, went through the whole year and eight month process of that, stayed around there for a little while and, you know, did the house teams and stuff like that. And 
and I got cast in the CBS Diversity Showcase, and that like that probably pushed me like five years ahead of what I would have been if I didn't do it, because that immediately put me in front of half of Hollywood at 23. Yeah, and I want to ask you about that showcase. What do you think was the most valuable lesson you learned going through that? Was it not even lesson, but what was the most valuable thing you got through that? Was it relationships? Was it writing, working with other people? Relationships. Definitely relationships are a big part of it. I'm still friends with a lot of people that I did that show with, like still good friends. Like Nicole Byer was in that year with me, John Milheiser, Allison Rich, Jen Bartels, Leelon Bowden. Uh, it was a real heavy UCB year. Jeff Hiller, who's a New York guy. Like it was dope. It was, a, it was a really cool experience. And, and then after that, uh, beside that, I learned how to cold read really well because the way the process works, like we're doing sketch all day, every day. Like we're coming in, the writers will give you the sketch like 10 minutes before you got to do it because they just finished writing it and you get it and you got to skim over it and you can have the paper in your hand, but it like, it gives you great audition skills because it's like, okay, I just got this thing. I got to hit my jokes. Every time I do them, I have to hit my jokes. The other lines don't matter as much, but as long as I'm hitting these jokes, as long as I'm making this writer look good, as long as I'm making my castmates look good. And so that gave me like a skill to be, I'm able to like learn lines really quick and do them correctly. And then like, I kind of just forget them after that. (laughs) But like, that was another valuable skill. And just kind of seeing how the Hollywood casting process works. It wasn't the best experience for everybody. And I admit when we were in it, it wasn't the best experience for us. But now we look back on it as like, like it's like a fond memory. Yeah. But it, it sucked at times for sure. Yeah. It was just a lot of hard work. Yeah. A lot of hard work and a lot of like, yeah. you know, dealing with Hollywood types that are shitty. Yeah. That are getting better now as, mm-hmm. as the times are changing. But back then it was like, damn, it's what it's going to be like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Stereotypes, which yeah. that was in 2013. And you watch Good Trouble? Yeah. They have that like showcase in there and they're still dealing with stereotypes. You know, it's yeah. nine years later. Yeah. Still dealing with that issue. Yeah. That's that's an awesome experience. And so that was at 23. So that was three years after you had started improv yeah. and, and really performing. And so with improv, were you not nervous to perform that? Like you oh. were stand-up? No, you were mm-hmm. just in it. I think it was the freedom. A, it was the comfort of having other people on stage with you yeah. that could pick up the slack for you. And B, the freedom of making everything up. Yes. Like not having to write something down and go, this has this formula has to work. Like, like mm-hmm. that's just that's scary to me. Like yep. and they look at us and they go, Man, it's scary. You got you up there with nothing. I go, man, please. Like, that shit is easy. You got a brain. You can talk. You talk all day. Right. Yeah. I, I started doing stand-up, my first stand-up, when I moved out to Atlanta, so a mm. year and a half ago, because I was so scared. You know, I had done improv because I had other people on stage, and so I was comfortable with it. But writing and doing stand-up, it's still terrifying to me yeah. uh, as my mind just goes blank. I mean, you said you talk about stuff. Me, I'm like, uh, my mind just is blank if I forget a joke or a joke doesn't land. And yeah, it's very scary. Scary as hell, Jay. <laughs> I love improv. I'm a stick yeah. with improv. So we talked about people that you met in the diversity showcase and then also people from UCB. Now you're making stuff with those people mm. and your friends 
And I just want to know, what does that feel like? It's the absolute best. Yeah. Like it's, it's, so a lot of people think, so I'm on a show called Grand Crew and a lot of people think that it was nepotism, me getting this part. And in a kind of way it may have been, but there was still a process that I had to go through. I still had to audition a bunch of times. I still had to keep coming back to the network and they had to approve me. And they, like, there was a, definitely a chance that I didn't get the job. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't a, I want Carl and, I, and he can, the, the character itself maybe was based a little bit loosely off of me. And so I probably had the best grasp on the vision, but I still had to put in the work to audition and stuff like that. But being on set with people who you literally watched come up, like I had known Echo since day one. I had known Phil and Nicole since they came out during that 2012-2013 era. And it was surreal. It was like, it, it's surreal being like Lamar is a writer on the show. And because of COVID stipulations, he was the main writer, the main set writer the whole time we were shooting. Usually the writer of the episode comes in for their episode. But because of COVID stuff, they didn't, you know, he was already, you know, vetted and could test every day and stuff like that. So he was there every day on set. So it was great having him there. We had friends come in and act on the show. Like one of the best moments was me getting to do a scene with Ronnie and Lamar is kind of directing the scene. That was crazy. And and when you we've worked together so much over the past 10 years that you don't really you when you sit back and go, wait a minute, we're working on something right now that's gonna be on network television. Mm-hmm. Like this ain't just for funny or die. This ain't just for some UCB spank. This is gonna be on network television. You're getting paid. A lot of money to do this. <laughs> and it's just really cool. It's the best feeling. It's the best feeling. It's going to be hard if and when that next job comes that I don't have them there. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to have to make new friends and meet new people. And it was in, I just did another job up in Canada. And I knew the people behind the scenes. I didn't know any of the people in the show. But even doing that, it was like, ah, kind of got to make friends with these people. And I'm just a guest star on the show. And they don't know that. I got my own show and you know what I mean? Like, like, and so it's wild. It's wild. It's, it's such a wild experience to be doing that. Yeah. That's awesome. And grand crew is hilarious. Oh, thank you. So I, much. yeah, I binged it the past few days, but it's so good. Um, one thing, you know, you said when you were younger, you were scared to talk about your dreams, your goals, mm. whatever they were. Did you talk about those things with the people we're talking about now with, you know, Ronnie or Lamar or echo, like, did you talk about those things with each other? Yeah. Yeah, we 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 talk about our personal lives and goals and stuff a lot, quite a bit. They're a great support system. Those are my brothers. Like they that's why the show I feel like comes off so naturally and people don't understand it's like we're real friends. Like people don't get that. And so it's definitely a a a, a pleasure having them around uh and that I can talk to them about stuff like that. I was able cuz they're going through the same thing. It's hard to talk it's hard to talk to people that ain't going through the same thing, you know? So, yeah, we talk about that stuff all the time. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, cuz you need that support system and you need yeah. that just community around you where you can vocalize yeah. because that's how you that's how you realize things, I think is you vocalize them, right? 100%. 100%. Yeah. I do have a question about criticism. You you had spoke earlier about people telling you you can't be a comedian. Have you ever faced criticism? you know, about your acting or about your writing, maybe on social media or publicly. 100%. Yes. Yeah. Oh, what do yeah. you do in those situations? Like mentally, how do you deal with that? How do you process that? You know, what's crazy. I'm still learning. 
Because I still get hurt by some of that stuff. And, you know, it's always just like Lady Gaga says, like a like it could be 100 people in the room, 99 people tell you great, but the one person who don't like you, you're still like, wait a minute, what did I do to you? You know? That's the that's the person whose opinion you care about. Yep. Like, I still go through that. Like, I do all these podcasts, all these comedy podcasts and stuff like that. And I used to. I stopped doing it over the pandemic because it just wasn't good for my mental state in that crazy time that we were living in. So I stopped doing it then. But the people who will get on Reddit or something like that after you do an episode of Comedy Bang Bang, you're making all of your favorite comedians crack up and they're all keel over with laughter. And we're all having such a good time and it's such a fun showing and they're telling you how great you are and stuff. And then you go on Reddit and you want to see like, oh man, I want to see if they caught that joke. I want to see if they like that. And then there's a guy like, every time Carl's on, I turn the episode off. I don't like it. And, you know, you have to learn about, you have to learn. And like I said, it's still a work in progress for me. I still do get affected by it sometimes because it's just, it's just something I would never do. So it's hard for me to grasp the 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 reason that somebody would criticize like I, it was something I don't there's art that I don't like but for me to get online and talk about it I'd never do that right so like and to have such like vitriolic things to say about somebody like that's crazy and so I think you have to look at it in a way of like if the majority of the people are telling you it's good then it's probably good so rest in that and you believe in yourself believe in yourself that you have put out a good product and also know that that person calling you out in that situation is not calling you out. They're calling themselves out. They're saying, I wish I could have done what he did. And when, especially when that person is an easy target. It's like Comedy Bang Bang historically has been majority white. So when I come in and I'm taking up what they claim as their space, these talking about these fans who aren't used to a different voice on the show. And not only am I a different voice, but... I present in a cool way, you know? I'm not, like, nerdy out here with it, what they like about a lot of the other people yeah. on the show. And I'm also coming in, and and their favorite people are being like, no, that guy's great. And that person is at home like, no, no, he's invading my space. And I'm an easy target. When you're a minority, when you're a woman, when you're, uh, you know, sexual orientation, when, you, when you're an easy target for somebody to be like, I don't like that person. Yeah. Like, it, it, so it is what it is. I think we all just got to remember that people are hurting. And that's that's kind of how I look at it when I receive criticism. People are hurting. And and that's not the case every time. Sometimes I put out some shit that's bad. <laughs> but I think I know when it's bad. When I, I'll look at something and go, hmm, that's not, that's not good. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing because I think I go through that. I know many other people go through that and it is a practice. It is a learning of, okay, it triggers me. And then let me kind of decompress from that, you know, and then you can be quicker on the turnaround, right? You don't like sit in it for hours. You can be quicker to come back. And take certain things out of your life. For me, I got deleted Twitter over the pandemic. Like I watched the social dilemma and was like, yeah, I'm out. I'm out on this. Yeah. This this shit is weak. I don't I don't want the discourse with these people. I don't want I don't want to say something that gets people, you know, in a mood to talk at me. Like, yeah. no, nah, I'm done. I'm gonna cut this out of my life. That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> Get off Especially that now I've I've I go on Twitter and all the talk is Will Smith and Chris Rock. Yeah. And it's just it's not good for my mental health. Um no, no. so honestly I might leave Twitter so you really don't need it yeah. I'm telling you you don't need it people that that's a myth that people need Twitter yeah the people you need to be in contact with you can be in contact with other ways yeah 
Got phone numbers, emails, people who can connect you. Twitter ain't a Twitter ain't a place for connection anymore, really. I don't believe it's just a, a place for people to vomit in in word form, and other people to get upset at what they say. Like I've seen, there could be stuff so so trivial. Like I always talk back. Like the day I deleted the date, like I was like, I'm done with this. Like I woke up and immediately grabbed my phone. As soon as I woke up, which is something that you shouldn't do, immediately grabbed my phone, went on Twitter, and the first thing I saw was, hot dogs are bullshit. <laughs> now, you don't have to like hot dogs. You don't have to. I personally love hot dogs. Uh-huh. You don't have to like hot dogs. But for me to wake up and see that the first day, that has now taken up space in my brain. That stupid take, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, very dumb take. And now I'm thinking about that for the rest of the day. And I still have not forgotten about it. And this has been over a year ago. Like, like I can't believe that person got up and said that. I don't need to be seeing shit like this every single day, especially when I just wake up. I don't need to be seeing it. So that was when I was like, yeah, man, it's time for this to go. Yeah. This got to go. I love that. Cold hot dog. Yeah. Cold cold turkey. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I want to talk about your writing career. You know, I've written some stuff. Yeah, I've written Mm -hmm. some stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And I find myself, you know, when I'm really enjoying it, I'm getting in flow and getting focused is like very important. Do you feel that when you're writing? Do you write alone quite a bit? Yeah, I write alone. Because uh, if I don't, I'm not going to be focused. Mm-hmm. I turn on Family Guy and I just knock it out. I write I write scripts just like I used to write term papers in high school. I just get down and do it. Last minute, I set a deadline for myself and, and I probably don't don't finish until the end of that deadline. So like every script that I've written, 30-minute pilots and stuff like that, I will literally just, on a Saturday and a Sunday, on a weekend, I'll give myself, when I know I don't have anything to do during the day, both days, and I know I want to go out at night, you know? So I'll sit down, I'll turn on Family Guy, make wake when I wake up in the morning, go and make myself a, a big old nasty breakfast, you know, something unhealthy or whatever, <laughs> get that popping, turn on Family Guy, grab me a soda or something like that, sit down and just type, 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 type all day long. Hopefully, if I start at 11 a.m., I'll be done with at least half the script by 8 p.m. when the homies are making plans to hit the street. So I would feel accomplished that I did that. Go out, wake up the next day, do the same thing over again, and then I got my night to what, for whatever I want to do. And now I finished a script. Once I get the finished product, that's it's still not ready. It's not ready to be sent off. But I can put it aside for a day and then come back to it and read it the next day, fix little errors, fix little things that go, wait, that doesn't make sense. Wait, okay, all right, change that, rearrange that, punch that up, da-da-da. And then it's ready to be sent off to get notes to be changed again. You know, a saying that I grew up with, it ain't nothing to it but to do it. People just don't be doing it. It don't have to be perfect when you first do it. You're going to proofread it. The next person you send it to is going to proof it and tell you this don't make sense. This plot point don't make sense. I think you do better with this. And then you're going to send it to it. You're going to fix those things, send it to another person. They're going to give you their opinion. You're going to fix those things, send it to another person. Hopefully by that person, they're like, yeah, no, this is in shape. And then you send it to whoever you need to send it to. I'm blessed to have a bunch of friends who are great writers too, Mm, who are willing to read scripts. Have you taken a class for script writing? No, nah, I never took a class. Oh. Never took a class. A lot of my friends have. They take the Ben Axelrad class. I am literally had the first one on Sunday. Oh, nice. How was it? Great. Yeah. So, like, so much information. I usually just start writing a script. 
then I kind of stop because I'm like, wait, what's happening? Mm -hmm. But having the all of the information that he asks for yeah. has really helped so far. So yes. I enjoy it. He's basically helping you break the script. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So my first script that I ever wrote, which I got lucky on, I did not break it. I sat down and I vomited it out. And it happened to be good enough for me to send off. And that's how I got my first jobs from that script. Wow. That's luck. That's awesome. But also, keep in mind, that script don't have a B or C story. It's just like one long A story. And that's the biggest criticism of that script. People love to read it, but then they go, well, it doesn't have any other stories. Which is, you know, it's a pilot. So, you know, it doesn't really have to. Yeah. The second script, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this the traditional way. Went to Stables, bought a corkboard, bought flashcards, broke the story. Mm, act one, act break. Mm. My friends read it and goes, oh, Carl, that's really funny, but it makes no sense. And so kind of scrapped it, ended up writing another script, went back to that script and kind of tried to fix it a little bit. But yeah, it's it's a process. Yeah. I think I think there's it's finding middle ground within those two, maybe doing a loose whatever whatever process works for you that you feel like you can you've done a complete. I don't think story breaking is the best for me. I think me sitting down like me having a loose outline of what it is, like I think that's what is best for me. Writing an outline word vomit style. And figuring out, okay, okay, this could go here, this could go here, this could go here. And then turning that into script form. Because then I'm just improvising. What would this person, if this person says this, what would this person say? Yeah, and I love that because you know all of it. Like, you have the knowledge of all of the pieces. So if you wanted to do it this way, you can. If you wanted to do it the other way, you can. But yeah, it is whatever works for you. If you can bust out that script, I'm sure, you know, Ben can do that as well as mm-hmm. as well as your other writing friends, you know? Yeah. So that was your usual, okay, Saturday, Sunday, I'm going to write. I mean, like you said, what is it? Ain't nothing, wait, what Ain't was Ain't nothing the, to it but to do it. Ain't nothing to it but to do it. So, you know, were there ever times where you didn't feel like writing? Hell yeah, every yeah. day. Every day. I should, be, okay. I should be working on a script right now, and I'm not. <laughs> this morning, I like, like, I just got a Peloton. And mm. so, like, I got up this morning, and I had to, like, run an errand. I'd do some, like, send some emails off and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, should I get on the Peloton before I do the pod? Nah. <laughs> and then I didn't do it. Like, And then I'm like, I should be, well, if you're not going to do that, then you should do something. And I just sat and watched YouTube videos. Like, <laughs> and had a meeting and then, you know, had to do this. And I got another pod later. Now, I am going to get on the Peloton after we get done here. But, like... Yeah, it, it, it people don't like I I don't know anybody who just loves to sit down and write and like I'm sure there are people out there who do it. I don't know those people. I think we all kind of work on deadlines, you know. So I set a deadline for myself. I was like I have to get this script because staffing season is here. I'm getting meetings. I'm get people are asking for my sample and I don't have one. So now I have to have one. So I got to do it if I want to get these jobs. Let's sit down. Let's take these two days and let's knock it out. And then once you're done, you feel accomplished, especially like really after that first, after that Saturday, that Saturday of me being at home all day, just knocking that script out. And then, you know, a script is usually 35 pages and I'm, I'm at page 17 or 18 and it's now seven o'clock, eight o'clock time to get in the tub. And like I've rewarded myself with this night of debauchery, you know? Yeah. Like, but I definitely, no, I don't, I don't feel like writing ever. Yeah, I could have I could have wrote ten pages before we did this, and I just sat around, and then I justified in my head like, well, I just worked hard for a couple days. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, it goes up and down, I'm sure. Probably more more down than up. But yeah. I read on one of your Instagram posts, go hard or don't go. Mm-hmm. That's always been the motto. Yeah. And so I, I'm just curious. So I think this kind of goes along with what we were talking about of like the grind hustle mentality. Like it mm-hmm. seems like what you do is when something needs to be done, you do it. Yeah. Like I think even with myself at the very beginning of being in LA, like I was always doing something, but it was never for like for something, you know, it was just doing to be doing. Yeah. So how do you balance that, that really working hard and playing hard, I guess. For me, it's just like you just said, like when something needs to be done, I I do it. That's something I learned from my mom and dad, you know, like, you got to get, when when work has to be done, it just has to be done, unfortunately. Like, so that, that is what it is. Like, right now, I have to, like, go through my closet, and my, my my friend's mom is doing a big clothes donation, clothes donation to Mexico, and I got a ton of stuff in there that I need to get rid of. So I just need to go through my closet and do it. And, I'm, and I've waited to the last minute. I'm going out of town tomorrow for, like, four days. So when I get back, I'm going to have to take the whole day and just do that. But I'm going to get it done eventually. But... It is a thing where it's like, I want time to chill. Like, I don't want to constantly be, you know, bombarded with stuff. I want time to chill. I want time to myself. I want time to just kick it. Just eat a bag of popcorn and watch YouTube. And in order for me to do that in good faith, I have to have put in some sort of work, you know? Yeah. I bought the Peloton to hold myself accountable. I don't be feeling like going to the gym, but if I got this in my house, I got to get on it. I got to use it. at least 30 minutes. I ain't taking no time. Man. You can reward yourself. I can reward myself. Okay, I just did 30 minutes. You know what? Since I've done this 30 minutes, why don't I just stay on for another 30 minutes? Do an hour. And once that hour is over, take a hot shower, come back and plop my ass on that couch and don't do shit. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Because I put in the work. Yeah, I love that. I think I've always kind of been afraid. This past two years with the pandemic, I've learned how to chill. Mm-hmm. But before then, I was like, I can't chill. I have to be grinding. I have to be hustling and working. And I've realized that I'm like worthy of chilling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that, that is an important part of life that you just, you have, you have to do. You have to take care of yourself. Yeah. Mentally, physically, all of it. You have to. Yeah. What is, okay. I, well, I want to know before that, that question, I want to know you DJ. Yeah. Now, is that a, a new thing? Sort of, semi-new, yeah, yeah, basically a new thing. I started taking a class right before the pandemic happened because I was just like, ah, I'm exhausting myself at UCB. There's nothing I need to be doing over here anymore. I don't need to be kicking it over here in any type of way. I need to find a new hobby. I need to learn how to do something new. I've kind of like, of course, you can always learn stuff in improv in a, in a, in a kind of amorphous format that is improv. You can always be learning stuff. You can always get better, but... I'm not taking no improv classes no more. You know what I mean? I want to learn how to do something new. And I love music to death. I know you're a big music fan, too. You do music and stuff. Me and Ronnie, so I know a little secret for you. Me and Ronnie always joke about having a uh, a record label. Always we get our record label. It's going to be lit. And then you'll pop up with a rap video. And we'll be like, Shay. Let's go. We sign her. We're going to get her signed. Like, we're going to be here at Suge Knight. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. We're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like uh, it. But I always loved music. Always felt like 
a good curator of music and I wanted to learn a new skill. And I went to my buddy, my buddy had taken the class and I went to his graduation show and he was so good at it. And it wasn't just like playing music. It wasn't just like somebody just being like, let me mix this song into this song. Let me mix this song into this song. He was like scratching and doing cool techniques and stuff like that. Really like turntablism. I said, I want to learn how to do that. That'd be a cool thing to know how to do, right? Started taking the class, had two classes, and they were like, we're shutting down. And I was like, damn. And then like, I would say like seven months later, six or seven months later, they were like, it's safe enough now for us to come back. We spread it all out. We can wear a mask, like air ventilation. You got to wash your hands and, you know, do the temperature check, blah, 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 blah. And it became like an outlet for me over this time where I couldn't really do much else. It became this fun outlet. And I was able to complete this program and make new friends and join a new community and be just, just like the improv community is the same way. Like you see the same people at each event, like, oh, this person's spinning at, at this place tonight. And then you go there and you see like 10 people, you know, oh, and then we're going to walk over to this other spot and this person's spinning. Like it's a really cool culture, like really cool culture behind it. Just like, you know, just kind of like improv, kind of like comedy. And now I just got this new party trick. It's yeah. a new skill I have. Like I can yeah. scratch. I can do kick pops. I can do manual loops, you know? I know how to use turntables. Yeah, I love how you just constantly learning, you know, improv, okay, I'm kind of tapped out there, but I want to learn something else that I that I love. And also you had a song featured in Grand Crew, right? Not me. Uh, oh, okay. That was Lamar. I wasn't on that song. Gotcha. It was pretty cool to see, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I have a few more questions. This one is a big one. What is your secret to success? <laughs> the secret, give it to us. I <laughs> wish I knew what my secret to success was. I don't know what the hell it is. I've gotten so lucky, Shay, honestly. Yeah. I've been in the right place at the right time. And I think I've been just like treating people well and, and kind of, you know, making good relationships and, and being prepared when it's time to be prepared. Like preparation plus time equals luck. Yep. I don't think there is no secret. Like I didn't, I don't think I, like some people get on here and be like, I, every morning I wake up at five o'clock and I eat a spoonful of yogurt and I get on my computer and I type until, I don't do that. I'm not going to say my way is the best way because some people might try to do this and, and they never accomplish anything. I, I, I wish I could tell you what the secret was. I wish I could tell you what success means. Like who knows? Like I still haven't made all the money yet. You know? Yeah. I'm not hosting the Oscars. I'm not getting slapped at the Oscars yet. When I when I get there, when I get slapped at the Oscars, that's when I'll be like, here's how I got here. Yeah. Like, but I'm just like going with the flow, really. Like, and I mean, I, for a lot of times, I didn't say no to any projects for a long time. And that helped me, you know, stay afloat for a while. Just like doing everything I could. Everything I could. And now I get a little bit more freedom to say no. I'm like, oh, I don't think I want to do that. But for the most part, like not saying no to stuff, and just kind of going with the flow and then just being prepared when it's time to be prepared. Because you never know who you're going to meet. You never know who you're going to run into. You just got to have, like, so I had that calling card. When I wrote that script, now I got my calling card. So I meet somebody somewhere and they go, hey, you're a funny guy. If I'm at the Clipper game and I'm, like, sitting next to a dude and he's like, oh, so what do you do? Oh, I'm a comedian writer. Blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I'm a producer. You got anything you want to send me? Yeah, actually, I do. Boom. I can send it over to him. You know, it, it could happen that that easily. Yeah, and I think UCB has helped me a ton. Being a, being visible, putting my best foot forward, and being good at the art form is what when people came to see the shows, and they go, "Oh, that guy's good." Like, 
let's figure out how to get in contact with him. And, you know, I still got a long way to go. I'm very thankful and very grateful for where I'm at. And this could be the ceiling. But if this is the ceiling, that's pretty cool because I'm able to take care of my family. I'm able to, you know, it feels good to be out in Vegas and people walk by you and go, hey, let's do it. Like, that's like, that's pretty cool. And I also still just live a, a seemingly normal life, you know? Yeah. Like, it's regular. I eat my bologna on the left piece of bread, just like everybody else does. Uh, yeah, I love that. The whole luck thing, the whole being prepared plus time or yeah. whatever it is. It's, I love that. So we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but what have you been doing lately to level up? I think DJing. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, putting my best foot forward as far as like finding out what those next steps are, you know, I got a new agent recently and that's given me a couple more opportunities. Continuing to do podcasting and things like that. Exploring ways to expand on that. Like, just kind of exploring. Yeah, basically, like, just, like, exploring ways to expand on things I'm already doing. I think the DJ thing does, like, it's a small thing. It's a hobby. But for me, it's like, this is something, this is a skill that I have now that I did not have before. So that's a level up in itself. I think that's the biggest, like, current level up, like, DJ. I love that because it just seems like you really, you believe in yourself. Like, I, I mean, I think that is one of the secrets to success of just believing in yourself. Like, oh, yeah, I can learn this new thing. I can expand on this thing, yeah. whatever it is. So I love that. It seems like it's pretty steady with you as far as believing in yourself. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I have one more question. But before that, where can people find you online? And, you know, how can people support you? You can find me online. I'm, at, I'm on Instagram at dammitcarl, D-A-M-M-I-T-C-A-R-L. And you can listen to uh, my many podcasts. I have a podcast called XOXO Gossip Kings. I host my buddy Lamar Woods. It's a Gossip Girl rewatch podcast, rock watch podcast for me because I never saw the show. And so I'm watching in real time. Then there's also The Flagrant Ones, which is my basketball pod that I have on. That's on Patreon, patreon.com slash The Flagrant Ones. And please, 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 please. Go on your Peacock and Hulu apps and watch Grand Crew. You can binge it all now. Ten episodes, all in their glory. Please watch it. That's where you, if you want to support, do that. Because we need that. We need to show NBC that they should give us a second season. Yeah. So, for sure. Yes, please. Uh, It's hilarious, like I said. And, yeah, I I think I'm like six episodes in. So, I'm excited to finish it up. Yeah, of course. All right. So last question. What advice do you have for someone who wants to be on the big screen on network TV and wants to work with their friends and realize their dreams? So they want to live your life. Okay. Uh, (laughs) But in their own way, what's some advice that you give to them? Stay steady, stay the course, do the work, put in the the time that you need to. Don't turn stuff down unless it's really something that you need to be turning down. Don't do everything, but do most things. Do your friends shorts. Do your friends' projects. You put out shorts that you can have your friends in. You want to work with your friends. Like, ain't nobody stopping you from working with your friends. Mm-hmm. Ain't, ain't nobody stopping you from doing that. Find your friends that are hungry just like you are. We don't have that well of, of uh, community that we used to. But back in the day, when UCB was like popping, popping, there were times where we used to literally just be like, oh, that dude wants to direct. Oh, that dude wants to do sound. Oh, that girl wants to do makeup. Oh, that, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and then we all... Now we got a crew and we could just put some stuff out and then just put it out, put out sketches and stuff like that. Work with your friends. Ain't nobody stop you from working with your friends. 
Yeah. Hey, maybe stop you from getting paid to work with your friends. But <laughs> right. like, ain't nobody stopping you from that because that eventually will turn into you getting opportunities. Like that's what I think. And be prepared. So what would you need? If you if if a producer walked in your house right now and was like, what you got to show me? Have a full script. Have ideas for your next script. Have a short to show. Have a, you know, TikTok videos, even like, you know what I'm saying? Like, have that stuff. Have just be prepared. Preparation plus time equals luck. You know, everybody who's doing this now has all gotten lucky in a way. I hope that I hope that's enough. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. I love everything that you've shared today. So happy for your success. So fun to watch you to see on your Instagram and see you pointing at a billboard with your face on it. Like that gives me chills. Like that's so dope. Thank you so much, Shay. Yeah, for sure. Thank you again, Carl, for being here. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Level Up with Shay. We will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode with Carl Tart. If anything that Carl said today resonated with you, please share this episode on Instagram and tag me at Level Up with Shay and tag Carl at damn it carl all of his social media links are in the show notes so go and connect with him and go watch grand crew on peacock it's hilarious subscribe to level up with shay wherever you get your podcasts again thank you so much for being here it's time to level up